But uh, all right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 15. While you find that, um, I want to tell you that um, we typically teach through books of the Bible in this class, uh, but we've taken a little breather for the summer, um, which I kind of like to do, and we'll return to Hebrews uh, in a very short period of time. But for now, we're in Exodus 15 and starting in verse 1. Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. And this is God's word. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are as still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, pretty much every Super Bowl Sunday in uh, churches all over America, the worship leader and or pastor uh, gets up and says something like, later this day, 
you're going to be cheering for your favorite team in the big game and blah, blah, blah. You know, what doesn't God deserve that this morning too? Uh, and that's kind of a typical thing. And lots of people say that. In fact, I've said it too before it was a cliche pretty much, but now it's quite cliched. It's all over the place. People say it like every year and people go, oh. and I think people listen to it and they go, we hear what you're saying but I'm not going to do it. Or we hear what you're saying, and shame doesn't work. You know, uh, it's, I don't think you can shame people into expressing rejoicing uh, for who God is, okay? But I would like you to think about that for a second. I want to give you kind of a different, slightly different uh, thought on that. Um, when, the, when the guy throws the, the ball, and the other guy catches the ball, and it's right at the critical point, and it's that, that special moment. By the way, it's always a ball, you know. They're throwing it, they're hitting it, they're throwing it through a thing, and, you know, uh, I would love to see a sport where it's like a cast iron skillet, you know. That would be hard to catch, you know. That I could get into. But anyway, they throw this ball right at the kid at critical time. The guy catches it, and everybody watching it, including Jim Umloff, uh, goes, Oh! And uh, it's just this involuntary outburst, and it might be, woo! Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. But my question to you is, what is that? What is it when the, when the person throws the thing, and it goes through the deal, and it's your team, and you grew up in that city, and you love that, and your daddy, it was your daddy's team too, and it's your kid's team, and everybody's there, and there's chips all over the place, and everybody goes, oh, what is that? It is not cheering. You're not cheering for your team. Cheering for your team is before something happens. Defense, defense, defense. I'm cheering on my team positively. Or negatively, you can cheer on your team. Hey, better, 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 better. I mean, you're trying to distract the other team, but at the same time, it's kind of a negative encouragement for your own team. Hey, we hate those guys. Oh, yeah, we're with you. You know, that's, you're cheering them on. Or it can be both positive and negative. Like, whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. It's like the, the, the bad guys know, oh, no, we're, we're probably going to lose. And the good guys go, oh, we're probably going to win. You're cheering on the team for something that's about to happen. That's cheering. But when the big thing happens and everybody goes, oh, you know what that oh is? You know what that is? Singing. It's the same thing that happens when your foot taps. You know, Dr. Young once told, I think it might have told you, that I have no idea why the human foot taps. You know, I don't know if you know, he's not like a painter and a big creator and a graphic designer, this Dr. Young, you know. I'll tell you why your foot taps. You know what, you know what it is when your foot taps? What do you think it is? Dancing. It's the same thing when a little kid is watching a wedding band and he starts going... A little baby, you know, a little one-year-old starts doing that. Eh, they can't stand it. Their body starts moving. You know why? Because that's how God made you. He made us to be expressors of the way we're feeling. When you go, ah, you're singing. Now, yeah, I know it's, it doesn't have a mathematical value assigned to it. I know it doesn't have a tonal value. It's true. But uh, it is the heart's cry. And a better way to be, put it is that it is the heart's response to what's happening. You're, you're engaged with what's happening. There's an emotional and a thoughtful response, and you utter something or you tap your foot. It's the heart's response. So it's a response to what you're hearing and feeling and processing. And so that brings us to our main idea here today, which is this. The rescued by God rejoice in God. That's normal, redeemed behavior, and that's what we see here in this story. All right, so to the passage here. Um, this, this block of uh, verses in Exodus 15, uh, 1 through uh, uh, 21, um, is uh, often called the Song of Moses, 
And, um, and the, the, the problem is there's actually another song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, okay? And so um, it might be better to call this one the song of the sea or the song of God's deliverance or the songs of God's deliverance um, at the Red Sea, something like that. Because you see, too, that Miriam, Aaron's sister, she picks up a tambourine and she leads about a million ladies uh, in worship, which probably took uh, more than 10 minutes. It's probably a big thing. She grabs a tambourine, and it says, all the women went out after with tambourines and dancing. And she re- re- uh, repeats the refrain uh, that opened up the, the chapter. All right? So uh, it's, it's uh, the song of the deliverance at the Red Sea, something like that. Uh, not so good to call it the song of Moses. So that said, let's go to our first point, which is this, a song for the saving God. Let's look at verse 1. Uh, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now, this Moses and the people of Israel thing is important because um, the question has been asked over 2,000 years, is this Moses talking or is this the people talking? Is it Moses talking about himself at the beginning and then the people or what? With all these, I did this and I did that and we're going to do this. Um, But I think the answer is very plain. Moses and the people of Israel sang the song. Uh, it's Moses and the people. And the, the, reason, the reason that's important, ladies and gentlemen, is that there's no professional clergy syndrome here. It's not like, well, you know, the paid pastor up there, Moses, not that he was paid, but uh, the, 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 the clergyman, the, uh, the boss man guy, uh, he'll do all that stuff and we'll just kind of be here and, and we'll, we'll be back again next week uh, right on time. Uh, no, it's the, all the people of God engaged in this. Um, and do you know why that they're, they're all engaged? They're all singing together. They're all rejoicing. Do you know why? Because they've just been freed from 430 years of slavery, uh, they and their children. Now, their children won't be slaves anymore. Can you imagine? You, you go into a world where your children will be slaves their entire lives. Well, not anymore. Oh, and by the way, an army was chasing them to try to kill them. And the Lord stopped that army from killing them. And uh, I would say um, that's a lot like somebody catching the ball in the end zone. I mean, oh, we escaped from slavery after all these, after, uh, you know, four centuries, and we didn't get murdered by an army. Oh, they're cheering. I mean, uh, they erupt into worship. And so listen, it's not that Moses suddenly scribbled down a poem and uh, he passed it around, and all the people uh, memorized it. And by the way, that's what they would be doing is memorizing these things. I mean, it's not like there were reams of paper laying around or they couldn't, they couldn't uh, text it to each other. I mean, memorization was a big part of it. And so there's, uh, there's time built into this. But the point is, in the days, the hours and days and months, uh, and even many, 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 many years uh, after this event, uh, the people reflect on this, and they rejoice specifically um, over what God has done. Their, their, their hearts are warm to this God who intervened. Now, another thing on this. They responded to who God is and what he does. Look at verse 1 again. The, people and, uh, the Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And that's the difference between a hymn and a victory chant. You know, a victory chant might be something that, uh, um, you know, Christians can have a victory chant. Yay, we did it. 
okay? But we don't say, yay, we did it, like the world says, yay, we did it. The world says, yay, we did it in our own power and our own ingenuity. That's not how Christians think. Christians say, yay, we did it because God has gifted us with this. They might have said, yay, we did it because God gifted us with Moses. Oh, we're so thankful, Lord, for Moses. Thank you for Moses. But they don't say that, do they? They're not cheering, we did it because of Moses. They're not saying, thank you, God, for Moses. They're saying, thank you, Lord, for what you did. In fact, what's so interesting is, after the introduction, verse 1, Moses' name is not even in this thing anywhere. I mean, it's all about God, what God has done, what God has done, what God has done. Look what the Lord has done. So an application for you, the reason this matters to you is this. Um, You know, in in the last book of the Bible... The Apostle John is given a glimpse of heaven, all right? And he's been given a glimpse of the end of the epoch of time, you know, as we now know it. And he writes uh, what has been called, the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes what's been called uh, um, by a, a commentator, an echo of Exodus, and I rather like that, an echo of Exodus. And um, because there are plagues mentioned and there are people delivered and there's worship as a part uh, uh, of what happens in the true sanctuary. And this is what's written in, in uh, Revelation uh, 15. They sing the song of Moses. Isn't that interesting? In this picture of heaven that the Apostle John sees in 15.3 of Revelation, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying... Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. It goes on to say, your righteous acts have been revealed. You know, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Um, You know, Moses' song and that song is a song about the deliverance from bondage. It's a song about God's supreme and singular victory. God did this thing, God's involvement. The song is, you did it all. And what's so cool is, I mean, at the, at the end of human history as we know it, in the presence of God, that's going to be the song. The song is going to be, God, you did it. You did it all. And uh, I would just ask you this question, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's something to think about. Ask yourself, is that your heart's song? that God did it all. Oh, God, it's my heart's song that you did everything required for my salvation. My contribution wasn't a little. It was zero. You sought me. You found me. You saved me. Is that your heart's song? You know, I I pray in big church every week. This is not in my notes. (laughs) But it just, I just happened to pray this morning. You know, I pray different prayers, first and second hour. It's not like it's, I've got a Sunday prayer and I pray it. I mean, I, I'm just talking to God, and it's totally different, first hour to second hour. It usually is totally, isn't it, Richard? I mean, I, I may say something that I said earlier, but I'm, I'm not praying the same prayer. I'm not. And this morning, I, I, I guess this is on my heart, but I, I just I, I prayed something like this. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Something like that. And uh, that's what you need to know, friends, that um, God sent a Savior, um, not because you were a little goody two-shoes, but because you were a a, a wretched sinner who couldn't even see the truth, couldn't even see your need, and God gave you life, showed you your need, and provided everything you need in this Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what He did on the cross. 
He died as a substitution for the sinner, that the sinner might be set free from bondage and respond in rejoicing. All right, our next point. A song for the specific actions. Let's go back to the passage here and look at uh, the second verse, uh, or excuse me, uh, verse 1, but the second part of it. Um, It says, uh, I will sing to the Lord, uh, for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, that's a pretty big statement. I'm going to sing to the Lord. He's triumphed gloriously. And what does that mean? Like, like specifically, what, what are they talking about? Well, we get the answer. Um, the second part of that, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So that's what they're singing about. It's not just this generalized thing, oh, the Lord has triumphed gloriously. That means something, and it means something very specific. We're supposed to think about God in specific terms. That's what they do. And the, and the specific thing is, the horse and his rider, God is thrown into the sea. And uh, look, at verse, look at verse 4. Here's some more spe- specific stuff on that. Pharaoh's chariots and his host, he, he, God cast into the sea. Oh, the best officers, the really sharp guys who went to the academy, they all got covered up in the Red Sea and they sunk. They, uh, they went down to the depths like a stone. Look at verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile. I love this word too. The deeps congealed. I don't know what your Bible translation has, but don't you love that? The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea and, you know, made a way for the Israelites to pass and then the enemy chases them and kaboom, God did this thing. That's what they're celebrating. And look at this preview of what's to come. Uh, verse 14 and following, you're like, what's this all about? You got these weird cities, these peoples and all that stuff. Verse 14, the peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Uh, the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. The inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Basically, it is all the obstacles that are in the, God's people's way. God is going to take those away too. And so they're singing about what God has done and what God has promised to do. Those are specific things to consider, a song for specific actions. Now, by its communicating here, they'll be able to recall one day what God has has done as they look back on it, verses 14 and following. Now, uh, one last thing on this point, and um, it's kind of a minor thing, but it's it's something that I really am encouraged by personally and kind of enjoy that's, I think, a morsel kind of tucked away in the passage, speaking of specific things. Look at verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Does anybody have a different word than stubble? What do you have, Goss? Stubble. Anybody else have a different word? Well, you know, what's kind of cool about that is... um, um, it's, it's the same thing when they were making bricks with clay and straw, stubble. It's the same stuff. And, uh, you know, some commentators make a big deal about it, and they go, oh, yes, well, uh, oh, stubble, just like what was in the bricks and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and it, at first I was like, I don't know, man, maybe it's just the same word, you know. Uh, but then the more I was thinking about it, I was, I was going, you know, if, if you approach this like like the first readers would approach this, like the, like the ones who were singing it in real time. Um, oh, Lord, in the greatness of your majesty, you beat the bad guys, you send out your fury. It consumed them like stubble. Well, I mean, 
Just think of all the, they had to make bricks with clay and, and stubble, straw, right? And so the chaff, the stuff that's left over that you can't eat, um, they would put it in the mud and they would have to get in there with their feet and mush it around. And so it was just this mud-covered, stinky. And so and they're, they're looking at the scene and they're singing this song and they're like, yep, just like the stubble that we had to deal with and breathe all the time and feel the dust of and mix up with our feet and cut my fingers and yeah, all that stubble that's, so, that's just throw away, that burns so easily. That's what God did with the enemy is he burned them up just like that stubble we had to deal with all the time. Is that not a cool point? Now, I'm not saying that we have to interpret it and look at the word stubble and play it too hard, but I just think that a first reader would look at that, and I think the Bible wants us to see it too. In fact, if you want to check out Psalm 78 this afternoon, do that. If you want to check out Psalm 136 this afternoon, do that. Psalm 78, Psalm 136. That, the, 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 that God rescued the Israelites and opened up the Red Sea and brought them into the, in the land and uh, dry land, is a, is a big thing for many, 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 many years, and even, uh, even today and in the New Testament. So, application for you. They are worshiping God for specific things that God has done, specific things. And we shall see in a minute that uh, what one does is a very big indication of who that person is, right? And so God is rescuing his people, and uh, that has great implications about what he's like, who he is, the promises that he's made, um, why he backs up those promises, and so on. So, Christian, I would say to you, look back on your life to specific things God has done. You know, when you're discouraged, when you wonder where God is, look back to the mile markers in your life where you say, you know what? God did that, and God did that. And, uh, you know, I think every one of us, at least most of our pastoral staff, <laughs> looks back on our lives and we're like, man, if such and such hadn't happened that way, I would not be in the ministry today. Do you have stuff like that? Man, if the cop hadn't let me go, then I... That's like half of our staff. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, think back on your life. If Boy, if God hadn't done this, then I wouldn't be here. And if God hadn't intervened here, then I wouldn't know this person. If God hadn't done this, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't know this grace. I mean, do you have those kinds of things? Cite those. Praise God for those things. Remember those things specifically. And then, toward the future, specifically recall the promises that God has made for you in his word through the gospel. All right, next point. A song for treasured attributes. Um, look at verse 1 again. Uh, Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Now, it's very easy to read the word Lord and go, oh, yes, I've seen that a million times. Oh, it refers to God. It does refer to God. But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the divine name. That's Yahweh. That's I am. That's God's self-revealing name. And uh, in that, in God's eternal name, th th that's his divine eternal name. And, and so the point is, um, it, th there's, there's this eternality, there's this supremacy attached to this God, and there's this covenant-keeping aspect attached to this God as well as he reveals himself by his name. Look at verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Again, you have his eternality there. That is an attribute of God, that he is eternal. That's an attribute. 
cited in this song that God is eternal. How about this other one? Here's another attribute for you. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. How about verse 6? Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Okay, so that's an attribute that's being cited specifically, that God has unlimited and supreme power. That's a specific attribute. Here's another one. Uh, It would be God's kingly majesty. Look at verse 7. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. Um, Look at verse 11. Uh, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonder. Um, but God's majesty is this, is this kingly element, uh, that, he, that he reigns supremely, that he holds court, that he, he rules dynamically, uh, and really uh, this majestic God. It, it's, a, it's a kingly um, leadership expression, uh, the majesty of God. Here's another attribute for you, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? That's another attribute of God, cited specifically that God is holy. And I think you could probably mine this and find more and for more, but uh, the point is they are thinking specific thoughts about what? The person of God. The person of God. Um, if you really want to express adoration of and for who God is, then don't, don't crack your knuckles and go, hmm, what do I feel? You don't need to do that. What you need to do is go to the person of God. He wants you to adore him for the way he's expressed himself in his word. And a good way to think about it is this. Think AA. Can you remember AA? Adoration attributes. I think you've heard me say that before. Adoration attributes. If you want to adore God, think about his attributes. In fact, I have said this recently because I cited my wife. There she is. If I think about Tammy, I just don't think, "Mm, lady, even lady's an attribute. I think things like, you know, she's this petite little thing, and she laughs a certain way, and she says things a certain way, and she thinks a certain way, and she relates to me a certain way. I mean, I'm thinking very specific things about my wife if I'm going to adore her. It's not just this goofy thing that Christians do. Think specific things about God. And listen, this is just one passage, and it's in the Old Testament. Look for the attributes of God all over God's Word as you read. Look for the attributes of God. If you get that right, you get a whole lot right. You know, guys, if, you, uh, if you're thankful to God, then thank Him. Lord, thank you for this. I'm so thankful for this. Thank Him. But if you want to adore Him, then don't open your prayer with thank you. That's thanksgiving. If you want to adore Him, adoration attributes. God, you are this. God, you're like this. God, you behave this way because it's a reflection of the way you are. Look for specific things in God's Word about the person of God. Ruminate over Him as He's revealed Himself in His Word. All right, last point. A song for the present day and forever. Um, Look at the second part of... um, Uh, Verse 2 here, 
Um, oh, let's read all of it. The Lord is my strength, my song. He's become my salvation. Um, this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Ladies and gentlemen, yes, it's a, a people. It's a people. It's a people. Moses and all the people are singing this thing. They're singing it as a collective, all right? But you notice how they're not saying, we this and we this and we this and we this. A people is made up of people. And so even though they're singing this in the collective, there's still this personal aspect. I mean, think about it. They can approach the God of the universe and say, this is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. There's this personal aspect of a relationship with the living God. Um, it, 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 the point is that God personally saves. And um, we don't have to say a whole lot more of that, but um, I, I would like to close with these things. You know, in verse 3, there's one verse that I haven't really focused on, and it's a pretty powerful verse. Uh, look at verse 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, that's not the kind of thing people expect to find in the Scriptures. They go, oh, the Lord is a man of war. First of all, if I, if I um, you know, if Dr. Young's sermon title in the bulletin was, the Lord is a man of war, I think about uh, 18% of the room would go, oh, wait a second, God's a man? Is he saying God's a man? What? I don't, there's something's wrong with this church. Well, uh, right in the Bible there. The Lord is a man of war. What, it's, what, what is that saying? It's not saying that he's a human being. It's saying that he's a person. It's relating to we human beings in a way that we can understand. Can you understand what a man of war is? You know what a soldier looks like in Iraq? You know what a soldier looks like in the movies with the shields and the thing and the armor and so, all that stuff? We know what a man of war looks like. Oh, we can get that. The Bible wants us to see God in a certain way. By the way, that's kind of an attribute too. The Lord is a man of war. And in case you look at it and go, ooh, icky. Did they really mean to say that? Is that a mistake? No, no, no. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. I mean, just so there's no mistaking it. It's like, hey, no, no, no. Hey, hey. The Lord is his name, this man of war. You get it? Now, if that's unpleasant, that he's a personal being, then ask the question, why would he be a person of war. Why would God war against somebody on something? You know why God would war against something? Because things are warring against God. That's why. The Creator makes a universe, and the human beings rebel. Some angels rebel. Well, God is opposed to that. God is opposed to opposition against Him, and He's opposed to sin. If He really is like He says He is, that He's majestic in holiness then God cannot accept sin. He cannot let justice go unserved. He cannot do it. He cannot. It, he cannot be untrue to his own nature. And so the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, I want to show you something that relates to you. Speaking of personal stuff, your personal relationship with this personal God. This is kind of our closing application here. Um, look at verse 9. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand 
shall destroy them. You know what that is a picture of? God's arrogant enemies. Would you agree with that? That's a picture of God's arrogant enemies. I will do this, and then I will do this, and I will do this, and it's my desire. It shall be accomplished, my desire. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That was you. You were God's arrogant enemies. You were the ones who were saying, I'll do this, and I'll do this. But by His grace, ladies and gentlemen, He made you His own child. You know, verse 17 says, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. What God does is He makes you His child. He makes an enemy His child, an arrogant enemy. He makes him His own child. This God that would be opposed to you has rather set grace upon you and named you and brought you in in His deliverance. God did that all for you, Christian. God did all of it. Grace is a gift, and if you walk out of here with anything, please, oh, please let it be that, that God's grace is a gift whereby He makes an enemy into His own child. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled. Um, We remember um, feeling autonomous. We remember wanting independence and even separation from you and your moral perfection and and that we're interested in that now that we're that we're rejoicing over who you are and rejoicing over your moral perfection even even today is a testimony that you have made the dead alive and we praise you for that and our prayer is that we would be given the grace to look back on your deliverance Um, and cite those things and look forward to your promises and cite those things and be encouraged by them in our hearts. We pray that we'd be worshipers who focus on your person, um, uh, who you are, because you've uh, caused us to be related to you so personally. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody, thanks so much for coming. Appreciate you. Hey, Wednesday.